and I would ask myself, does this bring me closer to my goal or does this, or is this a distraction that's getting in the way and distracting my focus from my goal? Yeah. It was a moment of, is this it? Like, is this what I've been working for and what we've been working for? Because it doesn't feel that great. And then I think the louder I talk, it was basically showing more fear and kind of convincing myself that I'm really not afraid, but inside you're scared to death. But yeah, I mean, I took him through college and then that was it. After college, I was, I, I had gotten off of them because the testing in the NFL I had just started with the steroids probably a year or two prior, and it was a lot more elaborate than college was. How much of that strength is really there, their mindset, when it's adverse? Because when the money's flowing and everybody's healthy, anybody can be happy. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. You know, before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, I'm just super grateful that I have listeners from all over the world that are, you know, aspiring for greatness and want to create something cool in their lives. Um, I'm all about dreaming. I've been dreaming since I was a kid and I love dreaming big and actually, you know, going after it. And I feel like we're building a community of of people that not, not only dream, but we put action, we make it you know, tangible, we go after those big goals. And, and slowly, slowly, we, we get closer and closer. And I mean, all you got to do is start. I started with this podcast like four or five years ago now, and this is episode 211. You know, I'm, I've been talking to yeah, the, the coolest and most amazing people in the world. And I'm just happy that I, I'm able to share that with you. So thank you guys for being here. And, you know, I'm super excited for this week's episode. I've been, you know, trying to get a hold of Tony for, I think it's three or four years now. And when I launched my book here in the U.S., he was actually helping me, promoting it without even knowing me, uh, which is kind of, you know, a testament of like a good human being that, you know, he, he can see and he knows what goal settings is all about, and he wanted to help, uh, you know, share my book, which which I'm super grateful for. Uh, but we're not here to talk about me today. So we're talking about a man here today that always aspired for greatness, and he firmly believes that in order to do extraordinary things, you have to be willing to break the rules and go where others won't. I mean, in April 90, 1989, yeah, that's 1989 when I was four years old. Tony Mandrich was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the title, The Incredible Bulk. Tony Mandrich, the best offensive line prospect ever. And I'm, I'm sure he's tired of hearing that because that's been quoted over and over again <laughs> during his life. Uh, but I mean, you should Google, uh, Google that and look at the, you know, the cover. It's, it's a very cool cover. And, you know, uh, you see, you can see what, you know, Tony was about, you know, for his 31 years uh, now. And he was the second player selected in the 1989 NFL draft. And he played football for seven seasons. And now he's working with his passion as a professional photographer in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, you know, 
one of the main reasons that I want to speak with Tony is because he's had a lot of ups and downs. He's had a lot of wins and losses. So I, I think we can learn a lot from this human being. So welcome, Tony Mandaric, to the I Love Success podcast. Peter, thanks for having me, my friend. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, you know, and never give up, right? That's right. That's right. Can we just talk about, you know, uh, you've been saying that you aspired for greatness since you were a kid. Do you remember like that first moment in your life where you're like, hey, I, I want something big out of my life? I, uh, you know, I do. I, I, I've referred to, the, to this specific story um, many times because it was such a turning point in my life. Um, and and this will tie in actually to your book a little bit because uh, I'm a very strong believer that putting pen or pencil to the paper is yeah. very powerful. And I've been doing it since I was a little kid. And I didn't, it's not like I remember learning it from somebody or I don't remember anybody telling me to do that. I just did it. And for some reason, because it makes it tangible and makes it real, it makes it more real to me than if you were to put it in a, like a word document on your phone. Yeah. It makes it more real than typing that. So at 11 years old, I had made a career decision. And if you, you know, next time you're out and you're around kids and you ask their age and you see what 11 year old, like at what level they are, like in, as far as what's important in their life, um, you'll be surprised that even I'm surprised like that at that age that I chose to make a career decision. And what in saying that, I don't say it that I made this great, you know, thing. It's just, I don't know why at such a young age, maybe it's because I just had such a passion for football and, you know, born and raised in Southern Ontario and Canada, we were 45 minutes from Buffalo and about three hours from Detroit. And it, there wasn't a ton of stations. There wasn't NFL network and there wasn't, you know, NFL ticket. So we would get the Detroit Lions and Buffalo Bills or maybe the Giants in New York on TV. And I would watch, you know, those games on Sundays. I would watch college games on Saturdays. And on Monday night, you'd have Monday night football. And that was it till the next week, next weekend. Now it's a lot more. But I can, I can only think back and, and imagine that my passion for the, for the game then was so strong. Um, and it has remained strong. Um, I'm a huge football fan. I love watching football. Uh, you know, this year is kind of interesting with the, with the pandemic and everything that's going on to watch football without fans in the stadium. Some stadiums do have some fans, but it's very interesting. I never thought I'd see something like that in my lifetime. But uh, at 11, I put that pen to the paper or the pencil to the paper and, and wrote out really my goals on what I wanted to be. Like I wrote the end game, which was to play in the NFL. And, but it's really like, okay, what are all the steps to get there? And I didn't have the answer to a lot of that. It's like what I assumed. And then I would ask my big brother, five years older, so he guided me to a certain degree on, you know, at 11 years old, the most important thing is not the weight room. It's, you know, because you're still developing as a, as a growing child, really, more or less. Yeah. 
So I played a lot of soccer, did a lot of stuff like that. As far as physical fitness goes, a lot of it was more of it was plyometrics and jumping and push-ups and chin-ups and all that stuff. It wasn't until I got 15 or 16 until I started the weights, but it was 11 was like that, that mark that I remember where it was like, this is what I want to do. And then it was just a matter of, it wasn't a question of whether I wanted to do it or how bad I wanted to do it. I was just like, no, this is what I'm going to do. I just got to do the right things and then get a get some luck, you know, as the years go by, you know, not to get hurt um, and, and have some things that are out of your control happen. So it was, and, and really, you know, I don't want to say every decision I made from 11 to 21 or 22 when I got drafted was based on the fact of getting to that next level. But any major decision in my life at that time was based on getting to the next level. And I would ask myself, does this bring me closer to my goal or does this, or is this a distraction that's getting in the way and distracting my focus from my goal? Um, but that was more, you know, with major decisions. I'm curious though, like when you're 1989, you know, you just got drafted, drafted as the second pick, like what is, can you just explain, try to go back to that moment? What are you feeling? Like how, how, how did that feel? The answer is going to shock you, I think. Um, I was in the stands. Uh, Green Bay had, had flown us out to um, Green Bay, Wisconsin. So they held their draft at Lambeau uh, in the stadium. And Dallas had already told the media that they were going to take Troy Aikman. And then Green Bay said, if they take Troy, we're going to take uh, Tony. So they flew me out. It was kind of like, you know, anticlimactic because yeah. we knew, right? And uh, but and it was an honor. I mean, to be drafted. It's like if you think about it, you're 21, 22 years old. Ten years ago, you made a decision, and now it's like really become true. And and it, and it wasn't to be drafted, and it wasn't just to play. It was to be like the best I could be. Yeah. And and then obviously continue at a high level, which, you know, didn't happen, obviously, in the NFL, even even when I had my comeback, I played very well, but I was by no means a pro bowler. Um, but that day was a letdown. And it was not a letdown because of the Green Bay Packers. It wasn't a letdown for any other reason than my expectation and my perception of what it was going to be like was totally different than what it actually was. And it could have been in Chicago. It could have been in Miami. It could have been in Oakland Raiders. It could have been San Diego. It doesn't matter where. And if you really think about it, Green Bay, with all the tradition, I mean, that's one of the coolest places to get drafted. And I was, you know, young, arrogant, you know, talked a lot of smack. Talked a lot of smack because... I wanted to get the you know biggest contract I could get and 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 you know do all these things I said I was going to do, um, but that day was a letdown. I remember sitting in the stands with my brother that day because they were doing some photos outside. And, you know the Lambeau Field was empty, yeah. 
And I, I looked at my brother and I said, this is like, is this it? Like, is this like, it wasn't even like one of those moments of, is this really happening? Like, it's so incredible because I've had moments like that, even up till a month ago, I've had moments like that of whatever it may be. Yeah. It was a moment of, is this it? Like, is this what I've been working for and what we've been working for? Because it doesn't feel that great. And so it was a letdown for me because of my expectation, I think, and my perception. It's crazy, you know, and that has happened to me a lot of times too, because you build up all this perception that it has to be in a certain way and you put so much pressure. And then when it finally happens, you realize, hey, you know, (laughs) wasn't that cool? (laughs) It's not that glamorous. I think the, the the problem is, uh, correct me if I wrong, I'm wrong. This is what happens to people like us that sometimes put too much pressure, and you know we're we're always we're been chasing something for so long. It's almost like instead of like hell yes, right? Uh, no, that's true. But I can say that there were plenty of hell yeses along the way. No. But the pinnacle goal, which was achieved, was kind of like, uh, it's not as exciting. I, like, I wasn't mature enough to look back and say I enjoyed the process more than the actual event. But I was also at a point where I was just going to start getting, or I should say falling off the cliff with chemical abuse. And, you know, it hadn't started yet, but it was about to start. And... You know, I, you know, just play, had a horrible career in Green Bay uh, and was, you know, was out of the league after four years. Um, and then I was out of the league three years after that. Yeah. So I was lucky to get a chance to come back and play with Indianapolis um, sober for three years. And, uh, and, and so that, to me, that comeback, yeah. oh, that was a hell yes. Yeah, way more than draft day. Yeah, I bet. Because I I think that was harder to do than get drafted second overall. Much harder, I think. Yeah, I I I believe it was, but I knew it could be done. So I was I knew what I had to do to work to like footwork and and drills and stuff like that. Eat right, do all these things, get plenty of sleep. But like that to me was like carries way more value in my heart than being the second player taken or being on the cover of SI or whatever, you know, the case may be. Do you think that, you know, did that put pressure on you? Did that affect your mind? Because I, I, I've watched a lot of interviews with you. And if you look at like you, when you were like... 30 years ago, basically, like you were cocky, you were like, like a lot of athletes, I recognize that in myself because we're, we're trying to sell our own bullshit to our own mind, right? I did that for so many years. And then like, I like myself more now when I'm not competing because I don't have to tell everybody else a lot of bullshit to believe it myself. Do you recognize that or like? Absolutely. I, 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 you know, I was full of fear. 
Yeah. I was full of fear because of now I had to live up to these expectations about what I said I was going to live up to. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is when I set up my expectations to, be, to become an All-American in college and to become the best football player I could be as an offensive lineman in college, uh, I really kept it to myself and I kept it to like maybe my really tight knit close circle. And I wasn't really talking a lot of smack to the media about it. So I, I stayed laser focused. And when I got, obviously, as I got drafting, got closer to draft day, um, I almost want to say that, you know, go back to that old cliche of I started believing some of my own press. And, and then I think the louder I talked, it was basically showing more fear and kind of convincing myself that I'm really not afraid, but inside you're scared to death. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when did you decide to, to start taking steroids and, and why, why did you decide to do that? Um, my first, the first cycle of steroids I ever took was in the last month of high school. So it was like May before graduation, I had already received the scholarship uh, from Michigan State and was already, you know, going to go there. But I couldn't get over this hurdle of 315-pound bench, um, which by today's standards, your average high school football player that's close to 280 or 300 pounds is benching 315 probably multiple times, if not 400. Uh, but I could not bench 315. I could do 295 five times, but I couldn't do 315 and 315 are three big 45 pound plates. Yeah. So I think it was a psychological thing. So I had gotten on a, a dose of very like pretty, I mean, they worked, but compared to a lot of other steroids, they were on the lower end of potency and, and risk. And in a matter of two weeks, I benched 315 a couple times. So it was like, obviously these work and if this is my goal and i'm laser focused and if this works this will be part of at that time was a spoke in the wheel but really it was a bad spoke it was a spoke that was already rusted and it was going to just deteriorate um and and then i you know i took them through college i i think a lot of people have this assumption that i took more than I probably actually did because yeah. the story just got so big. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I took him through college and then that was it. After college, I was, I, I had gotten off of them because the testing in the NFL had just started with the steroids probably a year or two prior. And it was a lot more elaborate than college was. And college really didn't test you unless you went to a mo uh, major bowl game. And how, how was the internal dialogue with yourself during those years? Like, how how did it make you feel? Did did you worry about that, or was that? Did you feel like a cheater, or did did you, were you just focused on your goal? Like, what was the like mind mind conversation? You know, I mean, this I mean, this will sound weird. This will sound to some people it probably sounds sick. Um, I didn't feel like I was a cheater, although I was cheating. The rule said, "Do not," you know, in the NCAA, you cannot take steroids. Did I take steroids? Yes. Does that make me a cheater? Yes, absolutely. That's common sense. 
I rationalized it in my head and I was like, well, you're a cheater if you get caught. Yeah. Right. So that's all rationalization. That's all BS. Right. That's like, you know, you might as well start digging your own grave at that point. But I felt that, you know, it was necessary to do this to get to that next level, which it's not necessary to do. Um, I was influenced by some of the teams of the 1970s in the NFL. Um, you know, and I don't want to name any, I've named them before, but I don't want to name any teams, but they were obviously, you know, steroids were more, I think, obvious then. Um, there was no phrase of performance enhancing drugs, although they're pretty much the same thing. Um, you can break them down into hormones versus steroids versus, you know, synthetic this or, or uh, blood doping in certain sports or whatever the case may be. But I think there's a big misconception also, and, and I'm not defending steroids in this, but there's a big misconception with a lot of people that think you take steroids and you just get strong and ripped and-, and You've got to do the work. Yeah, you've got to do the work regardless. I mean, some even some even uh, suggest that they want to allow, you know, just make it legal because every right. not everybody, I'm, but a lot of people are are doing it anyways. I mean, I'm my personal opinion is that I'm against it, but it's it's an interesting thought, right? Yeah, it is, and and you know, you know, I could answer. I like I qualified to be able to answer the question I'm about to ask. But I still don't know the answer to it, and the, because I debate it, and I'm like, and I and I really am sure not to be rationalizing it. But the question really is: is do steroids make you a better football player? Yeah. Do steroids make you a better volleyball player? Do steroids make you a better hockey player? Do steroids make you a better what? Do steroids make you stronger? Absolutely. Yeah. But I knew a lot of strong guys that couldn't play football. Yeah. that were on the football team but they could never make the starting lineup because of all the other variables involved so does it make you stronger and bigger and faster i would say yes it you guys still got to do the work but i would say yes does it make it right to take them if the rules say don't no it doesn't make it right you're cheating but does it make you a better athlete I don't know the answer to that question because just because you're bigger and stronger and faster, I don't know if that makes you a better athlete, so, you know, and that's where I have to be careful not to rationalize it by saying just because you're faster doesn't mean you can't make a, a faster mistake as an athlete. Yeah, Tony, uh, our beautiful conversation is coming to an, to an end and uh, just have a final question for you before I let you go. I know you got to take your dog out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be very anxious. I'm going out. So what's the, you know, what do you want to say to people like with big dreams, big hopes, you know, that are maybe down on their luck right now? Oh, you know, it's, I wish I could say something original. Um, what I will say is they, everybody's heard before in, in one way of wording something or another, you know, don't give up right before, you know, you hit, you know, gold or don't 
quit right before the victory or whatever. It's the best, like the best part about being in the hardest times, whether it's an individual or whether it's a country or whatever it is, it's like the one phrase you don't want to say is it can't get worse because it can, right? <laughs> but the upside is greater. So the amount of greatness that's waiting for everybody for things to happen is huge. It's just that we're going through unfun times right now. So on an individual basis, that everybody can self-evaluate themselves by themselves is what matters most. And this includes you and includes me is what am I doing today right now? Am I making, am I adding stuff into the world and into the stream of life that is helping people or am I sucking it out of the stream of life and taking from people? Because that's a question only a person can answer to themselves, looking at themselves in the mirror. And if, if you hesitate on the answer, you're probably not packing stuff into the stream of life. You're not packing good stuff. Love that. Yeah. Tony Mandaric, uh, you know, I've waited a long time, but this was very, 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 you know, amazing. And it was much more interesting than I could ever imagine. So I truly appreciate you and your time. And, you know, talking so open-heartedly about your life, it's, uh, it's, it takes strength. And, you know, coming from an 11-year-old kid with a dream to actually doing it, I think that that is an amazing feat. You know, myself, I never became a world champion. I came close. So that could be seen as a failure, like a big failure. But how do I see it? You know, I see it as a big success because I was this little kid that couldn't do shit. Right. You know, so we have to look out. And I want to tell that to everybody that's listening right now. Even if life did not happen exactly like you imagine, you know, look at where you started and where you are today. And and, and take a step back and, and kind of see like, okay, I learned some things along the way. Of course, I could have done something better. Could have been worse too. What did I learn and how am I going to implement that in my life tomorrow? Uh, because as we see people who, who with lots of success, they also have lots of pain in their lives that have to experience to make the changes and become better. Uh, and Tony, if people want to connect with you, listen to your podcast, this will come out in a couple of weeks. So probably your podcast is out. Yeah. How can they find you? My podcast will be at onemansethos.com. Um, and, and I have an Instagram that is one man's ethos and one is spelled out O N E, um, or they could just Google my name, uh, or they go to tonymandridge.com, which is my photography portfolio. And I'll have even a link on there to the podcast and the, and, and you know, the podcast is more or less about, you know, in general, it's about outliers, people that do extraordinary things, whether they're known by society or not known depending on what their um you know activity is because there's more great people that we have no idea what their names are than there are people that we do know because i mean just because of media right so they're basically people that i find fascinating and that make me go why 
when when did you make the decision why did you make the decision why did you continue when you you know when it was difficult and that and it'll be everything from sports to um entrepreneurs to uh, bodybuilding everything in between uh, it'll be like there's no there's no like it could only be in this one kind of niche it's about how people overcame great adversities and it could be a, i don't care if it's a soccer mom or if it's Michael Jordan. And I don't think Michael Jordan do my podcast anyway. <laughs> because <I know. laughs> but it's like, you know, he's he's my favorite athlete. He's my favorite athlete of all time. And um you should have him on your vision board as the dream guest, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. I'm glad you said that because now it'll happen. Now yeah. because when we get off this podcast, I'm gonna put that on paper and then I know it's gonna happen because he is Hey, has he been a perfect human being? No. Name me one that has. Yeah. <laughs> that it, that, name me somebody that has had no success or has not lived what people think is are successful and not made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's just that in sport, it gets lived out on the front page. In politics, on the front page. If you're a well-known doctor on the front page, all that stuff. So everybody's... Like my pain is no greater pain than somebody who never made the front page and is 18 years old and lives in a small town in Nebraska. Pain is pain. Emotional pain is emotional pain. I'm sorry. It's like, I don't have this advantage of having more pain, right? <laughs> or this advantage of having less pain. Pain is pain. And um, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Pain is pain. Thank you, Tony. And thank you, everybody that are still here listening to this incredible conversation. We, we do this for free because we want you to take action in your own lives. Sometimes I wish I could have people paying like $1,000 to listen to this because it's worth even more. Like it's worth so much. The only thing I ask for you is to, you know, share this with somebody that needs to hear this message that can learn from this, you know, give us a review, check us out. There's a whole bunch of amazing conversations, you know, it's easy. And I want to hear from you. If you have a goal, a dream, you're struggling with something, reach out to me. If you're a little bit handy on the internet, you'll find me fairly easy. easy. And I mean, that's it. Thank you guys. Was, and I'll talk to you next week. It was a privilege to be on. Thanks for having me, Peter. Thank you so much, Tony. <laughs>